Chapter 7 of The Homesteader. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeff Blanchard. The Homesteader by Oscar Mugeot. Epoch the Third. A Great Astronomer. Not long ago, a man died who had made astronomy a specific study for sixty years. He knew the planets, Mars and Jupiter and Saturn and all the others. He knew the constellations and the zodiac. In fact, he was familiar with the solar system and all the workings of the universe. This man had predicted with considerable accuracy what seasons would be wet and what seasons would be dry. He also foretold the seasons of warmth and those of cold. And he had said that about every twenty years the world over would be gripped with drought. This drought would begin in the far north and would cover the extreme north portion of the country the first year. The second year it would reach further south and extend over the great central valleys and the most severe near the northern tier of states. Following it would go a bit further south the next year, and so on until it would finally disappear altogether. So according to this man's prediction, the country of our story would experience a severe drought soon, preceded by a slight one as a forerunner. For two years the crops would be inferior, but the following year would see it normal again. So be it. It had been dry the year before, and had been just a little bit so the year before that. We know by the shortage of crops Jean Baptiste had raised that such had been so. So, with hundreds of acres and the sun shining hot and the wind blowing from the south, it was no surprise when he became now an altogether different person. For you see, the life, that life that makes men strong and fearless and cheerful, had gone from the body of Jean Baptiste. Then he began to grow uneasy. It is, perhaps, somewhat difficult to portray a drought and its subsequent disasters. We beg of you, however, that you go back to the early years in the peaceful, hopeful, vigorous country of our story. In the years that had been before, when everything had pointed to success, rainfall had been abundant. Frost had waited until October before it showed his white coat upon the window sill. Land values had climbed and climbed, and had gone so high until only the moneyed could even reckon to own land, and Jean Baptiste controlled a thousand acres. Over all the country, the pounding of steam and gasoline tractors filled the air with an incessant drumming. The black streaks everywhere told the story of conquest. The prairie was giving place to the inevitable settler, and hope was high in the hearts of all. So the wind had blown hot many days before the settlers became apprehensive of anything really serious. Never since they had come to this country had they experienced such intense heat, such regular heat, such continued heat. A week passed and the heat continued. It blew a gale, and then a blast, but always it was hot, hot, hot. Two weeks passed and still it blew. Before this, it had at least subsided at night, although it did not begin afresh in the morning. But now it blew all night and all day. 
and each day it became hotter. The soil became drier, and presently the crops began to fire. Oh, for a rain! Every settler cried, For a rain, a rain, a rain! But no rain came. So every day there was the continual firing of the crops. The corn had been too small in the beginning to require much moisture, and the dry weather had enabled the farmer to kill the weeds. So it stood the gaft quite well, for a time, and grew like gourd vines in the meantime. It was the wheat, the oats, the rye, and the barley that were first to suffer. These were at their most critical stage, the time when tiny little heads must de-seek the light. And as they did so, the cruel heat met and burned them until thereupon they cried and died from grief. And still the drought continued. Now showers fell. The crops needed water. After the third week of such intense heat, the people groaned and said ninety-three had returned with all its attended disaster. And still the wind kept blowing. The air grew hot, hotter, almost to stifling, with the odour of the burning plants. The aroma mixed with the intense heat was suffocating. The grass upon the prairie gave up, turned its tiny blades to the sun, and died to the roots, while all the grain of the land slowly became shorter. It struggled, it bent, and at last turned what had pointed upward, downward, and also died of thirst. And then the people awakened to the emergency. They began to take note of the fact that many had gone into debt so deeply until there were many who could never get out unless they sold their land. This had been so with poor managers, speculators, and others before. When they found that they were unable to make it, there had always remained the alternative of selling out. And this had been so easy, because the people at large wanted the land. So instead, theretofore, of retiring in defeat, the weakest had retired in apparent victory. For my homestead, I received $8,000, or maybe it had been $10,000. So it had been great prices to all who wanted to sell. Only a small portion of them, however, had wanted to sell up to date. But when the crops were surely a failure for the most part, hundreds and thousands and even more quarters were offered for sale. Then came the shock, the jolt, that brought people to a stern realization of what was before them. The buyers, there were no buyers. No, the buyers now, when many wished to sell, stayed in Iowa and Illinois and wherever they lived and refused to come hither. So, for the first time, the people in the new country were face to face with a real problem. And this continued to be augmented by the intense heat. Hotter it had grown, and at last came a day when all small grain was beyond redemption. Only the corn and the flaxseed were yet a possibility. So to Jean-Baptiste we now return. He had written to his wife, and she had replied to his letter. He read them where he lived, on the homestead she had left and longed simply for her to return. He lived with his mind in a dull quandary. It was useless to try to find consolation, hating the cause of his troubles. So him, he tried much to forget. It would all come right, some day. He still hoped, 
and worried between times over his debts. He had borrowed more money to develop his land, was behind in interest now, and also the taxes, and his wife wrote for money. This was what Glavis had advised him to do. Send her money and all would be right. Yes, that was what Ethel and her mother and her father had all thought right. Send her money. But the day of plenty of money for Jean-Baptiste was slipping. The burning, dried crop that lay in the field would bring no money. But this he dared not write. If he wrote and told the woman he had married, for a wife she surely was no more. That would be to tell the family. And that prince of evil, the reverend, would say with his wanton braggadocio, Hmm, didn't I tell you right? That is a wild country out there, for wild people, only. So Baptiste kept what was ruining the crops to himself. He sent her five dollars, and this brought the most pleasant letter he had received yet. It also brought one from Glavis, who followed the same with another, which was more to the point. It was this he wrote. Chicago, Illinois. June 30th. Nineteen teen. Dear friend Baptiste, I have your recent letter, and it gives me a great pleasure to reply to it. You would have had my last letter sooner, but I left it to Ethel to mail, and this she did not do, so that explains the delay. Now we are getting along very well in Chicago, and hope the same prevails in the West. By the papers I read where considerable dry weather is prevailing over a part of the West, but hope it hasn't struck your part of the country. Appreciating, however, your disposition to come directly to a point, I will now turn to the subject that I am sure will be of greater interest to you than anything else, and which is Orlean, your wife. It gives me a pleasure to state that she appears more relieved of recent than she had since returning home, but I will not hesitate to tell you why. It is because of you and you only. Always she talks of you to me, and it pleases me to talk with her concerning you, for it is with you her mind is at all times. I fear that you cannot appreciate her now as you were once inclined to do, but really think you would be justified fully so if you did. Now, for instance, when you sent the money not long ago, it gave her great delight that you haven't forgotten that she is your wife and have some regards, in spite of all, meant to her very much. She took it and bought her a pair of shoes with a part. The other she spent to have pictures made so that she might send you one. And I speak truly that to send you one was the sole object in her having them made. The poor girl has suffered much agonies. It is not her disposition to be as she has somehow been compelled to be. I can't quite explain it, but if it was left to Orlean's dictates, things would not be as they are. Yet, you might not appreciate this either, but to make it plainer, Orlean has her mother's disposition, and that is not to assert her rights. Too bad. Well, there was a little incident that touched me the other day, and which I will tell you of. A certain lady was over and seeing her with the new shoes. She asked, who had bought them. Poor Orlean. It is certainly to be regretted, 
that a girl of her temperament and kind disposition must be placed forever in a false light frankly it worries me i trust you will understand that the true state of affairs has not been given to the public and here i will draw a long line instead of saying what will be best left unsaid but orlean replied to the lady in these words my husband bought them for me i wish you could understand that it is all one great mistake i wish you knew the truth and the suffering this poor girl has been put to for if you did you would know that she is a good girl and loves the man she has married with all her soul but orlean is not like other women she's weak and oh well i must close here because it hurts me to tell more i will however in conclusion say do not despair or grow bitter toward her this is a strange world and strange things happen in it of but one thing i can assure you and that is the right must come and rule in the end yes nothing but right can stand all else passes therefore hoping that you will be patient and trust to that i speak of believe me to be always your friend e m clavis now it is so happened that when glavis had completed this letter he was called to the phone and later into the street he was gone a half hour or more and in the meantime ethel came upon it and read it her evil little eyes narrowed to mere slits when she had finished she had noted what had been going on orlean and her husband always finding each other's company so conjugal well she muttered after a time the time to strike the iron is while it's hot i'll have to get that man of mine straightened out whereupon she went to her room and here is the letter she wrote chicago illinois june thirtieth nineteen teen the rev n j mccarthy cairo illinois dear father we received your letter and were glad to hear you say that you expected to come to chicago soon i was just thinking a while ago that if you could come soon real soon it might be best certain matters need your attention i will not state which but i you know am aware of how you have been slandered and vilified by a certain person that you know well that person is again finding a way to influence those who are near to us so knowing how equal you are to the most arduous task i take this means of communicating that which is most expedient hoping that your health is the best and that we may see you real soon believe me to be as ever your loving daughter ethel so it happened that out in the west where the most terrific and protracted drought the country had ever experienced was burning crops and hopes of the people included jean baptiste was made joyful he understood glavis's letter he understood what he had said and what he had not said he had suffered he saw disaster creeping upon him from the drought rent fields it is therefore but natural that in his moment of agony and unhappiness shattered hopes and mortal anguish that he should turn to the woman who had been his mate to have her to talk to her to tell the truth to and share what little happiness there was to be had in life he became overly anxious thereupon he wrote her sending another check for five dollars july fifth nineteen teen my dear wife 
i am writing and sending you a little more money and since you must be well by now and realize how much i need you i am enclosing a signed but not filled in amount check with the request that you come home right away you will start say the tenth that will place you in winner on the night of the eleventh on saturday where i will meet you i will expect you dear and please don't disappoint me i have not seen you for three months now and that has not been my preference the amount will be sufficient for your fare and expenses please and i will write no more but should anything happen that you cannot start on that date then write or wire me that i may know with love to you i am as ever your husband jean end of chapter seven epoch the third a great astronomer